Hey everyone, I'm Alan Schimmel and welcome to another DevOps Unbound. For those of you not familiar, DevOps Unbound is a bi-weekly video series where we discuss and try to take a little bit of a deeper dive into different aspects of DevOps and different questions and theories and practices around DevOps. Uh, we're very, very proud to uh, be affiliated with our friends at Tricentis who have sponsored DevOps Unbound since day one. It's been coming up on two years now and uh, couldn't ask for a better partner and sponsor for us on DevOps Unbound here as we we go where no video shows gone before on DevOps, right? We, we hit it just about everything. We, we, we think our audience would like to talk about. And speaking of that, we, we actually have a topic that I think you're, uh, you are going to like today. Um, I should mention, though, that in addition to these, uh, for this particular format that you're going to see today, which is our panel format, we also do a monthly DevOps Unbound roundtable with a live audience. So you out there watching this get to participate and drive the discussion. That's not the format for today, but we will have one again coming up in another two weeks or so. And I encourage you to sign out for that and become part of the DevOps Unbound experience. It's actually a lot of fun. So for today's DevOps Unbound though, we, we have a we're gonna take a look at the whole question of you know how we disseminate DevOps in an organization. There's been a lot written and spoken about it. There's been many sessions at conferences. I've had the pleasure of listening and learning from several people. But DevOps has presented us with sort of a unique path, a unique road on how we get, how do we go organization-wide in DevOps. I, you know. Uh, DevOps almost invariably starts with little bubbles of DevOps, I call them, in enterprises, right? Small teams who adopt some DevOps ways. And then, you know, if they succeed, or sometimes even if they don't, that builds momentum within an organization. And more and more of the teams do DevOps. But at some point, you want to bring all that disparate learning. You want to bring all these disparate teams together. And you want to start setting down your emerging practices, your best practices on how we do DevOps. And um, it's taken many forms at organizations. We've had things like DevOps dojos. We've had internal DevOps days as part of DevOps dojos kind of things. We've had centers of excellence. We've had communities practice. I messed that up, but Sharon will correct me shortly. Um, there's been a lot of ways to skin the cat. Right, I don't know if one way is necessarily the best way. You know, I think your mileage varies by the organization, but we're gonna jump into all of that today. To do it, I couldn't think of some better people than, than our folks today we have on board. Let me introduce you now to our panel for today. First of all, uh, I'm so happy to see him. I'm gonna see him in person in June at our RSA DevSecOps event. He's a fixture there. He's with a different company now than the last time I saw him there, but that was three years ago. Larry Mascheron. Larry, how are you, man? I'm well, doing man. great, Alan. Thanks for having me here. Great. And I look forward to seeing you and the whole, uh, everyone from the community at RSA. That'll be great. 
Larry, why don't you give folks a little bit of your background? Uh, sure. So as you, you mentioned, I now I'm work with a new company, Contrast Security. But before that, I launched and scaled for five years the DevOps Transformation Program or DevSecOps Transformation Program, depending upon how you th think of it, at Comcast, the, the large conglomerate for telecommunications, Comcast, 600 different development teams, 10,000 developers uh, with a target audience for us. And we did it in something borrowing from dojos uh, with coaching, and but a little more like a community of practice in that the folks that we were working with were also contributing to the content and the evolution of the, of the program. Excellent. Joining Larry and I, is Sharon Alvarez. Sharon, welcome to DevOps Unbound. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Alan and uh, Mitch. I'm really, really excited. Yeah. Thank you so much. I am very fond of uh, all the events we're organizing and so DevOps Unbound, um, the, the roundtables, and so on. So, fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Sharon, why don't you give folks a little bit of your background? Yeah, so um, I have uh, been in the agile space for nearly uh, almost 15 years now. Um, I've led uh, uh, transform significant transformations. Uh, first, I started in France where I worked with uh, Alcoa fastening system. I have a puppy in the background, so you may hear him. And uh, in Seattle, I um, led some significant transformations with larger corporations such as uh, Amazon, Expedia, Microsoft. I've been focused on uh, Agile and DevOps. Uh, and um, so like La Larry, I had an opportunity to um, set up actually uh, some uh, uh, DevOps, Agile and DevOps Dojo. And in fact, I'm setting uh, an Agile, I'm starting out with an Agile uh, uh, Dojo right now at Salesforce. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, working with Salesforce right now in Agile Delivery. Excellent. Okay, then our fourth member today is my co-host and partner and friend, Mitchell Ashley. Hey, Mitchell, great to see you. Why don't you introduce yourself? You bet. Hey, Alan. Hi, Larry. Hi, Sharon. What a great, uh, great panel. I can't wait to hear from, from you all. My name is Mitch Ashley. I'm CTO with TechStrong Group and also principal with TechStrong Research and I've gone through my own couple of uh, DevOps transformations. I have to be transparent and say we didn't get to use a dojo at that time. So I'm fascinated and want to learn, uh, just like our audience too. So, uh, but I am very uh, have been passionate about learning organizations, and that's a lot of what we talk about with Centers of Excellence and and uh, dojos and things like that. So how do we create a community of learning? So I think it'll be a fascinating discussion. Absolutely. So let's dive into it, guys. I, you know, I gave my two cents, right? I, I think for whatever reason, DevOps and, and, and DevOps and Agile, for that matter, have lent themselves really well to these concepts of, you know, in an internal, an internal uh, methodology, an internal process of learning, of sharing, because I think dojos and centers of excellence and community practices are as much about sharing as they are about learning. It's a two-way street. Um, what, why, why, why DevOps and Agile? What makes them so special that this is emerges the way, right? The way to do these things. The, the opening line of the Agile manifesto is essentially learning by doing. 
And so you have to have both the learning and the doing, right? It's, it's, it's evolving your practice based upon feedback from evidence from earlier executions of the same thing. And so you have to be doing it. So, so I, I personally am an active developer, write code every day, author of a dozen open source projects, one of which gets a million downloads a month. So not trivial size projects here. Um, and I'm practicing DevOps and DevSecOps and Agile as, as I go and Kanban as I go. And, and that's evolving the way I think to ever better ways of, of doing it. Sure, yeah, this is fantastic, Larry. And uh, that's a really good question, um, Alan. I think uh, one of the struggles as a lot of organizations uh, are trying to adopt, you know, agile, DevOps, DevSecOps, is the upskilling piece, right? We have to uh, scale, upskill, up and then scale. And then there's the return on investment on training and uh, time spent in training in, in, in instructor-led training, for example. And we know that those are not very effective today. We know that this is not effective. It's not actually how developers learn. And uh, so recurring to a uh, uh, for, format model such as the DevOps Dojo Agile, Project Engineering DevOps Dojo, I like to uh, not focus only on DevOps is a really, really good way, not only to upskill, to uh, learn, get also feedback, you know, on how uh, transformation leaders can do better at the scaling and uh, uh, fostering that learning. But it's also a really great way to get engagements. Developers, uh, product teams, uh, they rather spend, you know, six to eight weeks working on projects that are uh, really meaningful to them than sitting in a classroom and doing a boot camp. So I think this is a great, great way to even to introduce Agile and uh, DevOps in, a, in an organization. Absolutely. I think too, Alan, um, also both Agile and DevOps, you know, they're not about technologies. They're not about tools. Yes, they're supporting tools. It's about how we do things. And I think what's really part of why it's caught on so much is that it's not like the old waterfall methodologies where the methodology got put in some binder and we refer to it and we're ready to go to the next phase. It's about how teams and individuals work together and collaborate together to produce something on a much shorter interval. And so there's, there's a lot of learning that happens very quickly. So it's not just about learning. It's happening fast. I mean, you learn every iteration of a, you know, of a, of a scrum meeting or a sprint or, you know, as we're setting up a CICD pipeline and de delivering code. So we can, we can increment and learn much faster with these techniques. So it, it's really fascinating to watch. I think another theme that follows all the way from Agile to today is around breaking down silos. So, mm -hmm. and this isn't the only thing that Agile did, but to a large degree, Agile essentially said, okay, well, quality, we're not going to throw it over the wall to a QA department anymore. The development team is going to be at least partially responsible and more and more wholly responsible for the quality of the products they produce. And on the other end, product management, they become more actively involved in that with the role of the product owner essentially being part of the development team to a lesser degree. And then you move on to the DevOps movement and the cloud native movement, and they were really about breaking down the silos between the development team and IT ops. And, and so that, again, the development team does more of that work now, not all of it, 
Um, and then the role of those, those folks shifts more to being toolsmithing. Same thing with DevSecOps. The security group was a throw it over the wall function, still is largely a lot, a lot of organizations. And nowadays, though, developers with shift left security and dev first security are being asked to take a bigger role in securing the products that they're developing. And I think this breaking down of silos allows the learning to be holistic instead of it to be just, hey, I do my job QA and I do my job development. Now I have to develop in a way that results in high quality. And so, so you get more holistic decision-making. So the learning is, is got a broader scope and isn't just one silo at a time, which makes it much more optimized for the thing that's the most important for you at that given moment in time. I, I would say to that though, Larry, is we, we won't be successful if we just keep throwing straws on the developers' backs because eventually the camel's back breaks, right? I, I think rather than thinking of them as developer teams, we need to think of them as agile teams and DevOps teams. And it's not just what we think of as developers as part of those teams. The security guy's part of that team now. He's yeah, not, he's not on the other side of the exactly, wall. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I actually say not only he didn't have to climb the wall. We opened the door for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually right, say engineering you know? teams now, but engineering but to, teams, good. Ra rather than that. rather than development teams, most mm -hmm. of the time. But but the but the point is though, I think um, if you say engineering teams and people don't don't actually behave like one team, they they just say, oh, we're a team. And we collaborate, we talk, we hug each other every right. once in a while. That doesn't work. That's that's just sort of lip service to it. You, you actually have You're to operate as a right. team. You got to operate as a team. It's team with a capital T, not a small T. Exactly. And, you know, and, and shout out to our Tricenter sponsors, right? The Q&A folks. I mean, Q&A and testing professionals haven't given way to developers. They've become part of those engineering teams and taken their rightful place in there. Automation helps, right? Automation helps, but it's not buying in of itself. Anyway, I want to jump, if you, if you don't mind a little bit, I want to shift a little bit, right? So I, I look at this and I say, okay, you know, you look at things like ITSM and IDLE. You didn't have this kind of thing going on there. There, you took your courses from some corporate trainer. You got certified. I mean, with Agile, you can be, you know, your Scrum certification or whatever. And that kind of, but there's more to it than that in, in Agile. Where in, in IDLE and, and ITSM, that was it. With Agile DevOps, you know, in that continuum, we've seen, as we've said, community practices, center of excellence, dojo. For our audience, what's the difference? What, what are these different things and why do we care? Why don't we, you know, why aren't they all the same? Sharon, I know you, you have strong opinions, center of excellence versus community practice. What, what's the difference to you? Yeah. Uh, you all uh, uh, shared some uh, really um, uh, amazing and on-point uh, feedback, by the way, earlier. I ran all those later, but to answer your question, Alan, you're right. Um, uh, the, uh, um, so the dojo is a very uh, different uh, experience. I want to say it's literally an experience for teams. 
But between the Center of Excellence and uh, the Committee of Practice, uh, the, ch the, the challenges, maybe the pitfalls of a Center of Excellence, they are highly centralized. You know, they are set up by an organization. They are led by uh, directors. They, they have a specific teams, and that teams develop templates, and we try to you know, roll out or standardize those templates across an organization. So it's owned. It's not owned by uh, the employees. We can definitely, uh, you know, provide feedback, uh, introduce templates and models and so on. But it's more centralized. And uh, the committee of practices, I want to explain the, the difference, actually, what it leads to. The committee of practices are generally more employee-owned, you know. So it's really a community owned by, uh, you could have a committee of practice for architects. You could have a committee of practices, in fact, for testers, a little bit like the guilds. You could even have something for, uh, you know, security, availability, and so on. And uh, so they really shape, they define the community of practice. So they have more uh, freedom. And the benefit, it's because when you have a community of practice, it's a lot more sustainable. People can come and go, but you have some sort of sustainability across the organization. It doesn't uh, break, it doesn't uh, lose its momentum when a director, you know, leaves the, the center of excellence, we have a new leadership and so on. So it, which is taking, it can, the center of excellence may take a new direction or may stop as well, but the community of practices are more organic. And I like this aspect. I did an interview uh, with uh, Nicole Force-Grain, um, I think it was in 2019 is published on InfoQ, where she actually explained beautifully the difference between the center of excellence and community of practice. And I very much agree with her, yeah. Fair. Thoughts? Yeah, so I, I focus less on sort of the definition of the different, and we really have talked about, I think four different things at this point, dojo, center of excellence, community of practice, and guild. And I would say they're they're sort of on the spectrum from really intense, immersive to lighter touch, I guess, you know, and maybe maybe those last two could be swapped depending upon how you define them. But um, so the program I put together at Comcast borrowed from the dojo concept in that there is a coach dedicated to each individual development team, but we didn't take them out of doing their own work. We essentially coached them in place. So just like a basketball team who's, or a baseball team or a football team that's, that's playing games every week, you don't have time to sort of say, take them out. We're going to take them out. You're out of the league for, for uh, a few weeks and train you intensely. No, we're, we're going to coach you every week and learn by doing. And, and so we, we had this concept of a gradual on-ramp and we centrally defined the list of practices that development teams should all be striving towards, but that was contributed completely by the community. So in that sense, it was a community of practice, but the, the coaches that were employed by my program would meet with each individual individual development team. And the list of practices were essentially prioritized by the best bang for the buck. And we'd start with the top five, six, 10, and we talk about them with the team, not just sort of say, is this is a survey? Are you doing it or not? And we're going to check you off or mark you down. Um, you know, it's not red, amber, green. It's it's what do you think about this? And I, I, do you understand what it means? And what would it take for you guys to actually or gals to actually adopt this practice and make it produce value for for our company? And as, as soon as we got to two or three of these items, 
that they weren't doing at the value delivery level, the full cultural level, we call that. We stopped the, the gap analysis. We didn't need to talk to them about the other 30 practices because, you know, we're just going to say, okay, these are the top ones. Let's, let's make a plan and a commitment in the next 90 days for you to adopt those to the point of delivering value. And then we would help them over the next 90 days. And then we come back and they might pick another, we do another little workshop and they might pick another um, two or three practices to adopt. So this, th- 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 this point, it takes about a year and a half for a team to get from wherever they are, low levels of maturity to sometimes very high levels of maturity of DevOps and DevSecOps. I'm curious too, one of the observations I have is sometimes it's what the organization is kind of used to working with. If you already have centers of excellence or community of practice or some way you've established those kinds of uh, function, not functions, but sort of built into the to the DNA of the organization. It seems like that's, take advantage of that. If you already are a community of practice organization, go build on it. If it's centers of excellence, go build on it. It seems like a good way to get started. Agree? Yeah, I very much agree with uh, everything you said, Alan, as well. I think you touched on it um, when we talked about, uh, uh, Larry, when you mentioned we, we, we learn and we do and we learn as we do. So I think we forget often to apply an iterating approach, iterative and incremental approach to actually all of those models, right? So the DevOps Dojo has to uh, evolve based on feedback that we're receiving, based on engagement, based you know, on the return on investment and so on. And same for the Center of Excellence and Committee of Practice. In all of the, uh, the dojos and committee of practice that I set up, I had to adjust you know, based on engagement, based on the feedback and so on. So I think as long as we uh, adopt this iterative and and we listen, you know, to the audience. We listen to what people are saying and what they need. I think we can be successful no matter what format we're using. I very much agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So Mitchell, Mitchell, similar to Sharon, you know, the at Comcast when I started, there was the concept of the guild was in place a little bit, mm-hmm. and the concept of the a center of excellence was in place a little bit. The center of excellence for Agile, though. Um, was considered a failure by a lot of the engineering groups. Mm-hmm. And, and when I looked at sort of why, the engineering folks felt like it became a navel-gazing organization yeah. where, where the agile experts all hung out there and they, 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 they didn't actually sort of participate actively with the development groups and, and, and they weren't, they weren't um, focused on true agile. It was a lot of cargo cult agile where we're going through the motions but yeah we have daily stand-ups but but they're not getting the full value out of adopting agile and so i sort of had some baggage associated with those so i didn't name my program either of those two things intentionally just to sort of avoid that that seems i know one of the things that can happen with us too is it can become sort of the the voice from on high right the, the elitist sort of of course, people hate that. They don't want to go talk to the uh, the monks of the whatever <laughs> the practice is. It, it seems like that's the dojo, the boot camp, the workshop. It's the it's the hands on, do it together, learn by doing practice under whatever scenario you want to call it that works best for people. And I think it does because it's uh, very centered uh, on the challenges that uh, those product engineering teams are trying to to solve. Whereas oftentimes center of excellence, uh, I do agree with what you said, Larry. Sometimes I know it, it's a it's a story at Comcast. 
But I have seen a similar patterns in other organization where the center of excellence operate more like a project management type of a PMO. You know, it operates more like a PMO. And it feels often disconnected from uh, the challenges, the constraints of uh, uh, teams, product engineering teams. And that's where I was trying to, that's the difference I was uh, um, pointing between, uh, you know, COE and COPs. And uh, with the DevOps, uh, with the dojos, uh, I think it's completely different because the approach is not about, it's, it's not so much top down. We really start with the teams, we start with their challenges, you know, there's no charter to um, to focus on and scale something, but it's the focus is really to look at the concerns that the teams have. They come with their challenges and we help them solve their challenges. So I think that's a huge uh, difference between uh, dojos and um, center of excellence or even COPs. COPs, we can make it center on the challenges that we have better than with a center of excellence. Fair to say that more of a bottom, not purely, but more of a bottoms up approach as opposed to passing knowledge on from on high. Yeah, very much agree. And um, uh, Larry, I want to say something. Uh, uh, you know, you talked about, uh, you all talked about breaking down the silos. And uh, so I think the, the dojo is a fantastic place. I, 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 I used to name it a value stream dojo. The reason why it's because I work with people who, for example, BMW presented at the DevOps Enterprise Summit in uh, 2019. And uh, when they presented, they actually uh, shared a little bit of information. Fantastic video, by the way, is posted on YouTube. They shared a little bit of information about how they called it a Biz DevOps Dojo because they wanted to include the business, they wanted to include product folks, and they wanted to include UX. So they all work together within the dojo with the engineering team towards a, you know, an improvement, towards an initiative, actually something that was meaningful to them. And I love this approach. And that's really what I'm trying to do uh, in all of the dojo. And uh, so I try to include, right now, I'm, I call it Agile uh, Dojo, but ob the, the objective is to uh, make sure that we include uh, the product team, UX, we have a uh, documentation teams as well. So I love this approach and I like to call it value stream. Yeah, I have a, I have a, we have a new guest on the, on the show. <laughs> You're going to have to introduce uh, your new guest here. <laughs> From the dojo. <laughs> but I love, I love, I, I love the idea of calling it value stream, and because because uh, it really is a value stream. A value stream is essentially a set of steps that you go through to deliver value for your organization. It includes product thinking about the market and 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 UX and all the way to 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 getting it in the user's hands. One key concept that I think is really. Uh, comes out when you start talking about a value stream is this idea from the the theory of constraints and so you know just to explain this for the audience is it, it think of it it's it's not exactly and some some experts don't like me using this analogy but think of the weakest link right so if you have a chain and and you improve the strength of any one link in that chain the overall chain is not going to get stronger unless the link you improved was previously the weakest link. And then the chain gets stronger. Well, the theory of constraints is similar that in any value stream, there are, there are one dominant, there's one dominant uh, choke point, essentially bottleneck place where work gets backed up from or loses its quality the most or loses its effectiveness the most. Um, it, and it, 
in a value stream with humans and variation, it's not like a chain where it's always one link. It shifts around a little bit. So it's, it's a statistical problem, not a not an actual single point. But the but the same idea holds true. And and Gene Kim says this uh, very explicitly in in um, his his writing, the Phoenix Project. He's got the three ways of DevOps flow is the first one. Uh, feedback is the second one. And and uh, ex uh, experimentation and learning is the third one, which we've already touched on. But flow is essentially all about, about the theory of constraints. And he says, summarizes it, that improvements made anywhere but at the bottleneck are an illusion. And basically, you, you can be doing good things elsewhere in the value stream. Maybe QA is not the bottleneck, and but they're doing good things improving it, or security is not the bottleneck, but they're doing good things improving it. And and it doesn't improve the overall ability of the organization to deliver value because they weren't the bottleneck at that moment in time. Yeah, it's a, I like the I like the visual of if you aren't working on the constraint, the bottleneck, anything ahead of ahead of it, basically is making more stuff arrive at the bottleneck faster. That's not helpful. Or if you're working on anything after it. You're making those more efficient, so they're sitting in a wait state with nothing to do because you're still waiting on the stuff from the bottleneck, and the bottleneck always moves. So as soon as you've addressed that, the next thing pops up as the next place to work usually. So it's a great visual. I'm curious, you know, both of you have such great experience, you know, doing centers of excellence and community practice and dojos. Are there some common lessons you've seen, uh, two or three kind of things you've picked up along the way? Usually this is a challenge that we experience here. Usually this is a progression that we go through um, having done it a few times or more than a few times. Uh, Sharon, any, any thoughts that you've seen kind of over time? Yeah, you know, I think I don't think it has to be over-engineered when we start. I used to think that we need a charter, we need to set expectations and so on. And uh, I, I don't think it's the case. Right now, I'm starting something very uh, scrappy organically, and uh, I want to see uh, interest, how people are going to uh, come into the dojo and use it. And um, so, and the other thing, uh, I think it's really important to tell success stories continuously in order to drive engagement. So the dojo is going to be uh, uh, the place where people come, you know, we don't voluntold, we don't want to impose it on people. We want them to feel the, to see the value and come with their challenges and work with us, right? Uh, so in order to make that successful, to make that happen, it's really important to tell the success stories. So when a team comes into the dojo, we need to clearly understand the challenges, document that. And when they leave the dojo, it's really important to share the success stories. That could be that could be metrics, that could be uh, a story. Uh, but it's, it's important to that could be a video. But it, it's really important to um, uh, support them, show, show them uh, the, the recognize the investment that they've done in, uh, while they came to the dojo. So one thing that I'm doing right now, uh, I have uh, several uh, programs for the dojo. And for each time they, and I have belts, badges and belts. So I love this, having a system that organizes the investment in learning actually. So that's uh, something that I've learned um, over time. Yeah, so so I love what you said there, the Sharon. Uh, it, it feels like, like organic uh, evolution of the, the program, whatever you call it, 
is important. So it's, it's sort of like being agile about developing an agile program uh, or a DevOps program or, or a DevSecOps program. So I, I really do like that. I, so for me, I, I have two other lessons learned, although that, that one would have been one of my, my three. Um, the first one is, is, is we've touched on it a little bit already, is to not let the um, folks who just care about the the subject matter of whatever it is agile or devops or devsecops the second sec, devsecops or or qa take over and and really have the folks who care about delivering value and and, and it was centered around the development team which has now been expanded to be a more uh, engineering team as alan, as uh, alan was 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 saying earlier the other thing i I, I have as lesson learned, which which Sharon said, we all know that that uh, instructor race training is not effective. Well, I didn't know that when I started my program at at Comcast, and I had to learn it the hard way. It is is to focus on this idea of contextual learning instead of instructor based learning. And so there's three pillars of contextual learning. Um, the first one is, is that it has to be important to the work you're currently doing situated. And, and so like providing feedback to a developer in the pull request, because they're trying to get their, their work accepted into the, into the product with the pull request they're going to pay a very close attention to any feedback and, and they're going to do the learning deeply, get the learning deeply because of that social. And, and Sharon touched on this also is that you have to spread the word. You have to reward folks for it. The pull request actually provides a social positive reinforcement because their peers get to see that their, their code got accepted into the next higher level branch, but things like gamification and leaderboards and parties for the person. Um, there was one business unit leader who challenged another business leader unit to have the most maturity improvement in, in their engineering teams. And then the loser was going to um, have to wear a, an Easter bunny outfit uh, to work the during that the season, uh, you know, at the end of the ninety day period, and then distributed is the third pillar of of contextual learning, um, meaning that the organization really supports the value of this learning. And so, so, um, so I really, I really have shifted to everything is contextual learning, nothing instructor led, nothing video based. Um, it's all got to be basically uh, just in time learning. It's awesome, Larry. I love it. You know, it gave me so many great ideas. And maybe the last thing I want to say, make it as inclusive as possible. You know, like I said, include UX, include uh, the not just the core engineering team, but, you know, product uh, teams and uh, make it as inclusive as possible to make it more, you know, effective. And uh, just, yeah. Well, we, we have a, a few minutes left, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a chance to think about how you want to answer this last question. Um, I think curious about resources. We talked about learning within organizations, how about learning from each other outside. What are some maybe really great resources? Can be anything from books to Slack or groups or whatever? Are there any that uh, either one of you might recommend to someone in our audience who's kind of looking for that next place to go learn more, help? bring that back into their organization, whoever wants to go first. Uh, if, if I understood your question, Mitch, Mitch is um, what are the other opportunities of learning? Is that right? 
What resources might you have to go learn more about doing a dojo or a community? Where can I learn from in addition to watching that Lots Unbound? Yeah. So this is a really good question because, yeah, how do you start a DevOps dojo? So there are a few uh, really good. Now there's a, it's, it's getting traction and there are a few good resources on YouTube. Um, you know, my go-to resource is the DevOps Enterprise Summit and the Dojo Consortium. So they have a site, a target as a site as well. And uh, the DevOps Enterprise Summit uh, published a lot of videos on DevOps dojos. There's probably close to 10 videos right now. So I watch them on a regular basis. I've done a, a, a panel with uh, Helen Beal and Brian, um, uh, Brian Finster and uh, Eric Chapman. It's published on a Bright Talk. It's a one hour like ours actually. And we cover the question, how to set up a dojo? What's a DevOps dojo? How, you know, how do we measure it? Uh, how do we, what do we need to do to make it successful? And so on. So it's a really good uh, Bright Talk um, recording. And uh, there are books, few books. So I don't remember the titles on top of my mind, but if you, we look on amazon.com, I think there are at least two to three really good references. But I recommend the videos on YouTube. They're fantastic because they are actually real life examples of what works and what didn't work. Yeah, so uh, um, I'm going to take a little different angle because I, I, I don't know of, of any resources off the top of my head that are specifically about establishing a dojo or a center of excellence. So I'm going to say sort of as a foundation, I really love... Gene Kim, Kim's approach to thinking about DevOps. So, so really don't just read it, but fetch that and, and sort of really deeply internalize the, the, the three ways and, and, and sort of like how you would actually implement those and how would you inject those? How would you encourage those to form in the culture of your organization? That would be sort of my biggest recommendation for that. Um, Nicole Forsgren's Accelerate, and I know there were a couple other authors on on that book, but um, or at least one other. Um, Gene Kim might have, yeah, Gene Kim I think was actually a co-author of that, but it's really Nicole's work. Um, so 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 that's that's a good one, and and there's a measurement framework in there that I would take it with a with a little bit of a grain of salt because I I, I think that some of the things. That if she had a chance to sort of do the research now, she's learned since that book was published herself, even. And, and, and I, I, I think in particular, a couple of the things she measured um, were, were good, but there are better ones uh, nowadays. But it's still a great book about being methodical about your feedback in particular. And th that's really where I think the, the big contribution um, from Nicole is. There's a, a book, there's a couple of books, volume one, volume two, there might have even been a volume three, I'm not, I'm not sure, of the epic failures of DevOps and DevSecOps that was published at the, uh, as Alan and I were talking, it released at the RSA conference two years in a row. I have a chapter in one of, in volume two there, but it's really stories about, about how people made mistakes and learned from them. Again, learning by doing is the theme of this whole conversation. And so I would point to that, those series of books as well. They're on Amazon as well. Excellent. And this is this is great. And uh, you know, um, Mitch and uh, Larry, something simple: reach out to people who've done it. You know, because you talked about Gene approach, and Gene approach is very much about uh, you know communities, uh, conferences, and talk, talk, reach out to people. So reach out to us if you're looking at setting up a dojo or a community of practice. You don't know how to go about it. Just reach out to us, and we'd be happy to help you. 
Yeah, and and I, along those lines, I'm starting a new a new organization, transformation.dev. If you go there, there's not much there yet. There's one blog post and about flow, about about theory of constraints, which we already mentioned. Um, and there's a but there's a sign up sheet to sort of join that community and help contribute to and sort of like a community of practice, but not bound within a single organization. Is the idea behind transformation.dev? Yeah, transformation.dev. Excellent. Well, we are all out of time. So I'll just give one analogy to wrap things up. Um, as much as I love to watch Bob Ross shows about him painting, there's a difference between watching him and the peacefulness of it to picking up that brush, giving it a try and trying some things. And that's what we're talking about with centers of excellence and dojos and all that and helping each other learn from that. So pick up a brush and start painting your dojo <laughs> and enjoy it and reach out to people like Sharon and Larry and, and so many others on all the great resources. So, so thank you so much to you both. I feel like we've kind of stepped in halftime in the game and you guys are all stepping back onto the, the court or back to painting or whatever you're doing and back to doing your work. And we appreciate you taking the time to share so much knowledge and expertise with everybody. Well, thank you for having me. It's great. Yeah. So, thank you, you for having thank us. Yeah, absolutely. You bet. And thank you to our great friends at uh, Tricentis for sponsoring DevOps Unbound. Thank you all of you for joining us today. Alan will be back with us next time. I think he's off building his dojo. He'll be back and we'll see you all soon. 